RadioCalusa.com. Welcome to the April episode of A Garden Runs Through It, a podcast of the UC Master Gardener program of Calusa County, produced by RadioCalusa.com. I'm Jerry Hernandez, your host and coordinator of the Calusa County program. On today's episode, I'm joined with Dr. Amber Vincasey Val. Amber, tell us about yourself. Hi, Jerry. Thank you. Um, so I'm the Vegetable Crops Advisor with UC Cooperative Extension in Calusa, Sutter, and Yuba Counties, and I have been for the past five years. I grew up in Massachusetts. I've loved insects from a very early age. My background is in entomology. I have a bachelor's in entomology from Purdue University and a master's and PhD in entomology from Washington State University. My graduate work focused on the alkali bee. It's a native solitary ground nesting bee in southeastern Washington State, and it's commercially managed for alfalfa seed pollination. I've worked in pest management in alfalfa seed in Washington, in potatoes in Oregon, and now I work in processing tomatoes, fresh market melons, and other vegetables grown in California. April is coming to an end and May brings some gardening chores. So in May, you can direct seed Uh, In the garden, cucumbers, melons, summer squash, beans, corn, and annual herbs. You can also plant sunflowers, zinnias, cosmos, marigolds, and asters in the flower garden. So for maintenance, you need to fertilize your summer blooming flowers early in the month. Apply organic mulch to all your beds to keep the soil cool and enrich the soil. But leave some space around the base of the plants. Deadhead, which is cutting off spent flowers um, for all of your continuing uh, bloom on annuals and perennials like roses. Thin your peaches and plums and nectarines to six inch between your fruits. So what you want to do is kind of, you just want your fist, the length of your fist between each fruit or else you get small fruit. And of course we want big peaches. Continue your battle against slugs and snails and keep on weed patrol. Keep those weeds down and make sure you um, hoe them or get rid of them when they're small. We have some upcoming Master Gardener events in the county. We're going to continue with our free STEAM kit that's science, technology, engineering, art, and math for young kids. They're available at the first working day of each month at our office. We've also started a demonstration garden in Williams at the Education Village, so come by and see what we're doing. We planted eight different varieties of tomato. This way you can compare each variety. Amber is an expert on native bees. Thank you for being here today, Amber. Thanks, Jerry. So today I'm going to be talking about native and solitary bees, um, a little bit about their biology and their habitats and kind of how you can attract them and provide habitat for them in your own backyard. So I want to start by saying that 75% of flowering plants rely on pollination. And as many people know, bees are the most important pollinators. One third of the food that we eat is pollinated by bees alone. This includes nuts, fruits, and vegetables. And there are other pollinators as well, like flies, butterflies and moths, beetles, hummingbirds, and bats. There's 20,000 species of bees worldwide, 4,000 in the United States, and 1,600 in California alone. 
I also want to note that only honeybees make honey and only female bees have stingers. So stingers are a modified egg laying body part. So only female bees and wasps have stingers and only honeybees lose their stinger when they sting. Other bees and wasps can sting you as many times as they want, but I'll kind of go into how native bees are pretty non-aggressive in a little bit. I also want to mention pollinator decline. Um, see in the news all the time about colony collapse disorder for honeybees, but I also want to talk about uh, pollinator decline for native and solitary bees as well. Habitat destruction and fragmentation, increased pesticide use, loss of food sources and nesting habitats, diseases brought in by imported bees, and um, non-native plants that are unattractive to pollinators will outcompete their native plants that they like so much, and also climate change. So native bees can also be more efficient pollinators for specific crops compared to honeybees. Um, this can be true for uh, blue orchard bees with um, cherries and almonds. They tend to visit flowers more frequently, um, these native bees, but you need less of them to do the same job as honeybees. So solitary bees have no queen. Every female mates and lays her own eggs. She has her own nest. There's no hive. And each female will go out and collect pollen and make a provision for each egg that she lays. Whereas with social bees, the queen bee is the only female that reproduces. And then there's a caste system for the female, the other female bees. The workers forage for food for the colony. They protect the colony and they take care of the brood or the baby bees. Solitary bees are non-aggressive because they have no hive to protect. Uh, native and solitary bees, adults live for an average of about four weeks. 70% of the native bees in California are ground nesters and 30% are cavity nesters. So for soil nesting bees, they may nest in, uh, in groups. So even though they're solitary and each female has her own nest, they like to nest next to each other. They need bare surfaces to dig their nesting sites. Each female will dig her own nest tunnel with the brood cells. So the brood cells are where the babies develop. One, they'll lay one egg per cell. And then she provides that pollen and nectar ball for each egg. These include digger bees, mining bees. The alkali bee that I worked on in graduate school was a soil nesting bee, and it was a type of sweat bee. For cavity nesting bees or tunnel nesting bees, these may also nest in groups, even though they're solitary. And they build their nests um, in cavities. So they build the brood cells and the partition for each brood cell within a cavity. Kind of think of um, a straw. And so they're building each brood cell on top of each other within like a, a straw-like tunnel. So they can build these out of mud, plant resin, flower petals, or leaf pieces within that tunnel. It just depends on the species. Some cavity nesting bees include the blue orchard bee, leaf cutting bees, and carpenter bees. So they lay an egg in each brood cell on top of a pollen and nectar ball, just like the ground nesting bees, and they'll use existing holes or spaces to construct their nests. So these could include hollow sticks, reeds, bamboo sections, and then drilled holes in wood. So they may not fill the whole length of the tunnel and they prefer dead end holes, so only open on one end, about four to six inches deep and a 3 16th to 5 16th inch diameter for the tunnel. Uh, but the preferences change depending on species. And I'll go a little more into each one of these groups um, as, I, as I continue. So for attracting pollinators, you need a seasonal sequence of flowers. You need something blooming from late winter to early spring um, and late summer to early fall. Using native plants is best because these native bees um, are well are, have co-evolved with these native plants. So these plants are well adapted to our soil and climate, and the native bees will forage more frequently on these native plants because they've co-evolved with them. Consider leaving flowering weeds and then removing them after they flower. For example, things like thistles, bristly ox tongue, and dandelions. Bees love flowering weeds. They love anything that flowers. 
Providing water for bees, like a shallow dish or bird bath with pebbles and stones, or floating wood or cork to prevent the bees from drowning, is great to provide water for these native bees. And to deter mosquitoes from that water source, since mosquitoes develop in standing water, change the water weekly. Providing shelter for the bees, a protected place to lay their eggs, raise their young, hide from predators. Um, bee boards and boxes are great. Trees, shrubs, grasses, and weeds are protecting um, bumblebee queens and um, other ground nesting bees. Also avoiding pesticides will um, benefit you in more ways than one. It'll help keep your bees healthy and also protect your beneficial predator insects that are feeding on the pests in your garden. So for ground nesting pollinator habitat, patches of bare soil or soil with light leaf litter is great so they can build their nest tunnels there. The soil preferences vary by species. There's, um, like I said, 1,600 species of bees in California, so they all have very different preferences. To encourage nesting, leave your entire yard or sunny area mulch-free. Heavy mulching prevents ground nesting. You could mulch most of the area, but maybe just don't mulch the back half or something similar to that to leave areas for the ground nesting bees. Even one inch of mulch is too much for ground nesting bees. Clearing vegetation from small areas and compacting the soil surface is helpful. You want it to be a few inches to a few feet across in a well-drained and sunny area. South-facing slopes are good. And then different areas will attract different bees, like a vertical bank will attract a different kind of ground nesting bee than, a flat, than flat ground will. For the cavity or tunnel nesting habitat, like I said, the, the holes must have a back to them and not be open on both ends. So you can do these wood blocks and drill holes into the wood blocks. The diversity of hole diameters and the sizes of blocks will attract different cavity nesters, but you only want one diameter size in each block. So maybe for one of the wood blocks, you do that 3 16th inch diameter, and then for the next block, do 5 16th. And this is because even though they're solitary, I mentioned that they like to nest next to each other. So you want to make sure that the groups of tunnels have the same diameter so the same species are able to nest next to each other. Adding a tiny roof for extra protection from the rain, keeping them a few feet off the ground, attached to a building or a landmark. You don't want exposure to direct sunlight for extended periods. So in a bright but protected area, maybe somewhere with morning sun, that's also weather protected. You can line the tunnels with parchment paper or straws if the inside of the tunnel is too, too rough after you've drilled the holes. Logs and stumps are also great for cavity nesters, especially those that have um, beetle tunnels, old beetle tunnels, because there's already a cavity for the bee to nest in. Stem bundles of reeds or bamboo, you can tie these up and hang them in a protected warm area because they, they're hollow inside, so that's an existing cavity for these bees. You'll want to replace um, cavity nesting areas uh, after two years because of disease buildup. So um, the Xerxes Society is a great resource for anything on pollinators, and they have, um, you can just Google it, they have a whole handout on tunnel nesting, uh, and that's Xerxes, X-E-R-C-E-S. And so what you want to do to prevent disease buildup is place a new bundle or nest site next to the old one and then remove the old one after the bees emerge in the spring and hopefully they will then nest in the new one that you've put right next to their old one. For plant selection for bees, um, the University of California Ag Agricultural and Natural Resources has a great publication on preferred plants and you can Google this. I know Jerry's used it a lot in some of our Master Gardener workshops. You like you really want single flower types grouped into individual patches. They'll um, this catches the bee's eye and they'll forage longer within the patch. A seasonal sequence of pollen and nectar. So the nectar is the sugar source for the bees, and pollen is where they get their protein, fats, and nutrients. 
Native bees have four distinct seasons and early spring bees will emerge to feed on things like lilacs and manzanitas. So diversifying your garden plantings for different pollinators will increase your pollinator diversity. Uh, we suggest a minimum of 20 plant types to stagger bloom throughout all of the bee seasons. So there's always something available for each bee uh, when it emerges. So high densities of flowers, bare soil between plants, no soil disturbance, disturbance well-drained soil, low to no insecticide use, and old logs are great things to have in your yard. Uh, make sure you provide food and nest cavities or areas if you want more native bees. Uh, this will also increase your predator habitat and reduce the need for insecticides. There's many insects that like to feed on the pest insects. So by protecting the bees, you're also protecting these beneficial predator insects. Native pollinators do not travel as far as honeybees. So if you have a lot of fruits and vegetables in your garden, if you put these flowering habitats and nest areas close to your vegetable or fruit garden, you'll probably get better yields because the bees won't have to travel as far to pollinate your fruits and your vegetables. So uh, you want more variety of plants and then you'll get more diversity of pollinators and increased yields in your, in your garden. A variety of food types leads to healthier bees. Just like for us, we don't like to eat the same thing all the time. Neither do bees. They'll be healthier if they have a variety of, of blooms and different crops and plants to, to feed on. So if you must mulch, try using compost or shredded leaves instead. You get the same weed suppression, water retention, but you're providing organic matter to your garden and the bees can get through that, that compost and shredded leaves. Or you can mulch one to two feet into the bed and leave the back area uncovered for the bees, as I mentioned before. Growing things like raspberries, elderberry, or hydrangea and leaving the dead branches provides these pithy stems for those tunnel nesters. Because those stems are hollow inside, it provides a tunnel for those nesters that's already there. Native bunch grasses provide nesting sites and protection for bumblebee queens, especially over the winter. Bumblebees nest on the ground. Um, saving a dead tree or planting a log, uh, leaving piles of twigs and branches. These brush piles provide habitat for lots of wildlife. And logs and trees provide habitat for other insects like beetles and ants. And then, like I said, some bees prefer nesting in the old beetle holes in these old logs. University of California Agricultural and Natural Resources has another publication um, called How to Attract and Maintain Pollinators in Your Garden. And that's a great resource as well. You can Google that. And then, like I said, the Xerxes Society, X-E-R-C-E-S, has lots of um, information on, on pollinators and, and their habitats and how to provide for them in your own garden. So let's talk about plants for your native bees with pollinator plants. So let's reiterate something. Native bees are not honeybees. Native bees do not live in a hive. Most native bees live in the ground. Some native bees live in cavity nests. Native bees do not make honey. Native bees are less likely to sting. And wasps are not bees. So let's talk about plants, my favorite thing. First, we're going to talk about plants that are from the Arboretum. That's the UC Davis Arboretum. Their website is arboretum.ucdavis.edu. So what is an Arboretum All-Star? The All-Stars are the UC Davis Arboretum staff's top recommended plants for California. So what makes it an All-Star? Each plant must have the following features. Attractive most of the year thrives in California conditions, and because it's UC Davis, they mean in the valley, not in the mountains or on the coast. And um, 
It's been tested at the UC Davis Arboretum. You can actually go to their testing grounds, and twice a year they actually have you go out and uh, rate the plants. So that's really good. Many all-stars have one or more of the following features. It's either low-maintenance, drought-tolerant, and or attracts beneficial wildlife. So you want a series of plants that flower throughout the year, not just in the spring or summer. There are thousands to choose from, but here are a few. So Ceanothus. Ceanothus really, really hates water. That year that we got 200% rain, I almost lost mine. But it blooms in the early early spring, late winter. Uh, one of the others is called Pig Squeak, Virginia. Uh, uh, everybody in my neighborhood has this. I think they were just all planted with the houses when they were um, built. But everybody has this. And Berberus. You can get a compact... Oregon grape. And I really like that the bees absolutely love it. I even have um, the bumblebees come out on this and I get the um, the golden one too. So also in a winter and early spring, your western red bud and also your golden currant. So spring bloomers would be like the Wayne Roderick seaside daisy. Also, the Santa Barbara daisy. Now, the Santa Barbara daisy does bloom throughout the year, but it starts in spring. Along with your lavender, your lavender will bloom throughout the year, but it starts in spring. Your yarrow, yarrow will, is starting now in the spring, and um, by July, it's pretty much done. Also, your sedums, your sedums bloom. That It's a succulent. You don't realize that succulents bloom. And um, a cut leaf lilac. Those are some spring bloomers. Some more spring bloomers include the rose. Now, we know that rose blooms eh, maybe March through October, November. So that's a really good thing. Rosemary blooms quite a bit throughout the year. And your salvias, your hummingbird sages, there are tons of salvias and they're all water efficient. I have a red, red and white, a blue, and a lavender one in my yard. Also summer bloomers are your bottle brushes. We know bees love bottle brush. You can get a compact bottle brush so it doesn't kind of overwhelm you with all the bees because bottle brushes can be a little overwhelming. Also, your asters. Now, my aster doesn't bloom until really late summer, more into fall, but there are some that bloom in the summer. And your crepe myrtles will be blooming really soon. Those are great for bees, and they bloom all summer. So some of your fall bloomers include the Formosan flame tree, your coral yucca, and an autumn sage. You also have a coral fountain and your goldenrods and your dwarf plumblego. Those are great for in the fall. And like I said, there are some things that bloom throughout the seasons, like your roses and your lavenders. So it's always good to have those. But you want stuff, 
plants that bloom starting in late winter and then when they're done something else is picking up then when they're done something else is picking up and that's really good so thank you um, plant some of these there are thousands that you could pick from if it blooms then it's good for the bees most likely just have something that goes throughout the year Well, I have a big variety of plants in my yard, and I even have the early bloomers. So my nectarine trees bloom, you know, about the same time as almonds, uh, late February, early March. And so that starts it. And then I have other things that go throughout the year. And I'm really happy with that. Every time I have uh, find a bee in my uh, garden, I take a picture and I take it to Amber. What kind is this? And we have found five different species of native bees, and well, including a honeybee, in my garden. So that makes me very happy. So my roses are blooming like crazy right now. I'm so happy. And uh, they, they look so nice. I gave them a little fertilizer earlier in the year right after I pruned them, and I got all 18 pruned this year. What is going on in your garden right now? Uh, well, right now for me, it's a frenzy of bee activity because we have an orange tree and a lemon tree, and those are blooming right now. They smell amazing, and there's just honeybees all over those trees. But the other day, I did see a male carpenter bee, and I want to mention this because I get a lot of questions about carpenter bees. So carpenter bees are larger than bumblebees, and the females are black, and the males are a golden color. So they're these giant bees you'll see around. They're pretty common around here, and people are always asking me, what is that giant bee that I saw? And those are carpenter bees, so they're... They're a native solitary bee. They're a cavity nester. And so I got to see a male carpenter bee in my yard. So I'm wondering where the female nest is. And that was pretty exciting. Um, if you go to our Facebook page, the Master Gardener Facebook page, about a year ago, you will see a video of both a female and a male carpenter bee. So that's really awesome. You know, my uh, mandarin is blooming right now, too, and smells so good. I was checking out the nectarine trees I have that will ripen at different times. And I was in there checking out the, oh, good, I've got little baby nectarines. And I thinned some of them while I was looking at them. But my pincushion flower looks awesome right now. Of course, irises, OMG, irises are so beautiful. Anything else going on in your garden? Um, I've got, uh, our roses are also going crazy right now. And we've got uh, English laurel and dianthus. The dianthus, I've seen some bees around there, but it's mostly honeybees in our yard. It's possible that we have some smaller native bees that I just haven't been able to see because there's so many honeybees or they're out at a different time of day. That's another thing about these different species. They can be pollinating at different times of the day, at different times of the year as well. And it's still early spring. So I'm sure we'll be seeing more pollinator activity uh, deeper into the summer as well. Thanks, Amber. question come into our office last week the tips of their roses were turning brown and so I looked a lot of stuff and it's a little early for thrips but since we're having such warm weather already that it's thrips and there's really not a lot you can do about thrips 
So um, just keep deadheading and keep at it as the flowers turn brown. And it happens to white roses a lot for some reason. My white rose does the same thing. And this lady, it was her white rose that showed up the most. Amber, thank you for joining me on another episode of our podcast. Thank you, Jerry. It was great to be here. For more information or insightful tips and gardening hints, visit the Master Gardeners of Calusa County on Facebook or visit our website, cecalusa.ucanr.edu. Remember to sign up for our monthly gardening newsletter. A link will be in the show notes. Do you have a gardening question? Send an email to glhernandez at ucanr.edu. Thank you for listening to A Garden Runs Through It, a podcast of the UC Master Gardener Program of Calusa County, produced by RadioCalusa.com. Until next time, keep those hands dirty. Radiocalusa.com